I want to talk to you guys today about the power of our words. I'm going to grab my stool real quick. I want to talk to you about the fact that, that, uh, that words, the words that come out of your mouth have profound and unbelievable power. The Bible tells us in Proverbs, it says that, that your mouth speaks life or death. That the words that come out of, your, out of your mouth either bring life or they bring death. That the words out of your mouth hold significant meaning. That they're just not empty words. So I want to talk to you about that a little bit. And you, you guys are not so much different than me and I'm not so much different than you. But we all, maybe in varying degrees, have a problem with complaining, right? Or have a problem, if we're not careful, at picking out the negative, and dwelling on the negative. And it's, it's incredibly easy. It doesn't take a genius to be negative. In fact, you can be a moron and be negative, right? It's really, really easy. It's simple. And, and we all, for some reason, we're born with this pull, with, this, with this, this natural bent to go towards the negative, to go towards complaining. And we complain about everything. We complain about big things. We complain about little things. It's easy. You know, we complain about the gas prices. Gas prices are horrible, and I can't believe gas is like this. And, and some of it, you know what, maybe is legitimate. Maybe we ought to be concerned, but we complain about it. We complain about this. We complain about that. I hate this, and I hate that. Thank you, Milton. And here's what I wonder. I wonder if sometimes our Heavenly Father, well, let me say this first of all. Have you ever been, if you're a parent, have you ever just, like, watched your kids interact when they're at their worst? And they're just at each other, and by the way, they're just emulating what they see. Right? But there's sometimes your kids are just at each other, and they're just, you know, they're filling the dishwasher, and it's just like they're like cats, you know, and, and they're just at each other and they're fighting and they're arguing and they're slamming each other and, and you stand back from your perspective and you're like, can't we just, can't you just get along? Can't we just say nice things? Can't you just stop complaining? And I wonder if sometimes from God's perspective, he looks down on me and you and he looks at us as adults. And maybe he looks at us in our marriages I wonder if he stands back sometimes and says, can you just stop? Can you just stop complaining? Can you just stop finding the negative? Can you just be thankful? Because God understands, like we so often maybe understand but forget, that words are so important. That what comes out of our mouth is so important that we have, that in the tongue there is the power of life and death. And for so many of us, we're bent towards and we gravitate, gravitate towards, if we're honest, words of death. And we're good at criticizing. We're good at gossiping. We may be good at lying. All of those things. Today, we're going to talk about what does it take? What does it look like? Why is it important to speak words of life? And especially as we're going into the Thanksgiving 
um, week and into the holiday season. I heard a story not too long ago about a lady that was had a reputation for being negative and just a complainer and a whiner and you know everything was just wrong and this elderly lady went into a grocery store. She wanted to buy a head of lettuce. And uh, she walked in the grocery store, found a head of lettuce, and all they, all they sold was a full head of lettuce. And she started to complain and just gripe and went to one of the workers there and asked him, you know, don't you guys sell anything but a full head of lettuce? And he was like, no, that's the only way we say it. And she just kind of threw a fit. She said, well, I'll never eat a whole head of lettuce. I live by myself, and this is just the most crazy thing, and kind of threw a fit. And so the worker decided, okay, I'll take the lettuce back, and I'll cut it in half and rewrap it for her. And by it, so she, he took the lettuce to the back, and as he was cutting it in half, one of his co-workers walked by and said, what in the world are you doing? And he said, and he said well, there's this old bag out here that's complaining and throwing a fit and, and wants her lettuce cut in half. And so I decided I'd do it. And as he turned around, the old lady was standing right behind him. And he said, and this nice lady said she would buy the other half. <laughs> Pretty quick. But isn't it easy for us? Isn't it easy for us to slip into the mode of complaining? Into the mode of fault finding. And see, it's, it's in every area of life. It's at work. It's at home, probably primarily. It's at church. It's in our relationships. It's easy to complain. It's easy to find fault. Well, the Bible talks about this very directly, very clearly, very simply. You don't even need a commentary. You don't need to break it down. Philippians 2, verse 14 and 15 says this. It says, do everything. Really? Really? Everything? Do everything. I love to use this verse on my kids. Do everything without what? Complaining and arguing. Wow. That's just there. It's just, it's, just right, it's just right there. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Everything. Doesn't matter what it is. Dishes, work, pay the bills, fill up your car with gas. Everything. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Now it doesn't say, listen, there's some things in the Bible that are principles. This is, a, this is like a command. It doesn't say you should or you should try. It says do it. It tells us to do it. Do it. Do it without complaining. And here's why. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. I think it's interesting that this verse links a crooked and depraved generation with the idea of doing everything without arguing and complaining. What if our homes, literally, listen to me, what if our homes, what if your home was a place where we all, where everyone did everything without complaining and arguing? It's almost hard to fathom, isn't it? What if our government, this is even harder to fathom. But listen, what if our government governed without complaining and argued and and arguing? What if we the citizens 
honored the king, like the Bible commands us? What if we as citizens did everything without complaining and arguing? And see, the list could go on and on. Just this verse, just this one verse could transform unbelievable things. It could transform your marriage. It could transform, transform your home. It could transform our community. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you can become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Here's what you have to remember. Here's our bottom line. We're going to talk about words today. But words point to a deeper issue. And the bottom line in your, in your outline is this, is your words reveal the condition of your heart. Your words and my words reveal the condition of my heart. They're not just words. They're not just negative words. They're not just complaining words. They're not just selfish words. They're not just unthankful words. Your words literally reveal the condition of of your heart and where your heart is. Matthew 12, 34. Jesus is speaking. This is so powerful. He says, For out of the overflow of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. It's just like a picture. If I'd have a cup up here, a glass up here, and I would pour water or any kind of liquid into it, and I would fill it until it's full, and then I would continue to fill, and what was inside the cup just overflows. Jesus says, listen, that's how, that's what your words are. It's the overflow of what is already on the inside of you. That's why when you talk to a person and they say something and something slips out of their mouth and they say, oh, I didn't mean to say that. They did mean to say it. They might not have meant to verbalize it, but it was already in the heart. They just told on their heart. It's an overflow of the heart. And then he goes on, he says, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in him. Pretty simple. But I tell you, verse 36, this is serious. This is serious. He says, but I tell you this, that a man, men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. Wow. Verse 37. For by your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. That should get our attention. Our words reveal the condition and the attitude of our heart. This is in your outline. It says, from a negative heart. From a negative heart overflows Negative words, which generally become negative actions, resulting in a miserable life. I think that's true. That's not original with me. From a negative heart overflows negative words, which generally, your words and your attitudes, see, generally, almost always, you could probably put in there, always lead to actions. Resulting in a miserable life. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever met, have you ever hang out, hung out with or got to know a person and you, would, and you would describe this person as a joyful complainer? 
Have you ever met a joyful complainer? His, she, he is the happiest person I've ever met. But man, they complain. He's the happiest person I've ever met, but he's the most negative person I've ever met as well. It's weird to understand. I don't get it. He's happy, but negative. It never happens. Does it? Someone who whines and moans and complains all the time and yet is full of, full of joy. It doesn't happen. Normally, negative, critical people are not the happiest people in the room or the people that are living the, most, the happiest life, fulfilled life. Here's a formula if you want to mess up your life. If you want to hate your job, this, see, this, is, so, this is so true, it's so powerful. It's not just the words that we say to each other. It's also self-talk, and it's our own thoughts about our own self or our own things. If you want to hate your job, get up in the morning and complain about your job. Complain how long it takes you to drive to work. Complain about your boss that doesn't know anything. Complain that you're undervalued and you're underpaid. Complain about the people that you work with. Just complain about it. Find everything that's wrong with your job, and I'll guarantee you, you will learn to hate your job. If you want to learn to be a miserable person and just have a miserable life and learn to hate your life, just complain about your life. Complain about everything. Complain about your physical features. For us guys that are in our 40s, complain that our hair is no longer on our head, that we have more hair on our back than on our head. You know, the thing, on and on, just complain. Complain about the traffic, complain about the gas prices, complain about the government, complain that, whatever, just complain, and I promise you, you will hate your life. And you'll have a miserable life. You want to mess up your marriage and screw it up really good? Complain about it. Find anything, find big things, find little things, and just moan. Oh, this becomes a reality in marriage, doesn't it? Complain about the way he drives, complain about the way she drives, complain about where he parks, how he gets somewhere in the car. Complain about the trash or the stuff he leaves on the counter, doesn't leave on the counter, how the roll toilet... Uh, Toilet paper is whatever, you know. Just complain. Complain about how the way she or she she or he chews their gum. Choose ice. Choose food. Or leave certain food on the plate. See, here's what happened when we were dating. We spoke words of life into our spouse, into our girlfriend or our boyfriend, and we said goofy little things like, you know, you're so hot and... And, you know, we blew in each other's ears and did all this goofy stuff. And then we got married. You guys know it's true. Then we get married, and 10 or 15, 20 years into the marriage, we're not speaking words of life. We're speaking words of death. And we're angry and bitter and complaining and nitpicking. See, there's a verse that talks about this. There's a verse that talks about this. And all the men, you should be sitting on the edge of your seats waiting to shout amen. Proverbs 21, 19, it says, It is better to live alone in the desert. I want you to think about that for a second. Alone in the desert. Hot, dry, desolate, lonely. 
Not a good place. But the wisest man in the world said it is better to live there than to live with a crabby, complaining wife. Now, you could rewrite this verse and it would be just as accurate. And it could say something like this. It is better to have an ice pick in your eye than to live with an angry, overbearing, controlling, idiot husband. Amen? Yeah. See, listen, if you want to mess up your marriage, you want to mess up a great relationship with your wife, complain. Or your husband, just complain, nitpick. Find little things, find big things, harbor on them. And see, this, this is real. This is not just biblical, it's real. There was a scientific study, and there was an article in the, in the U.S. News and World Report a number of years ago, and this is what they said. They found in a study, don't ask me how they did their study, but they said, if you're married... And, and one out of ten statements that you make to your spouse, listen to this. If one out of ten statements you make to your spouse has a negative slant or negative connotation, you are 90% more likely to divorce. 90%. One out of ten. There's power in your words. And they matter. Listen, if you have a problem, And if you just want to be honest today, if you have a problem with being negative, with being a complainer, with always finding the bad, you know, there's a hundred good things, you're the guy that's going to find the one thing that's wrong. If that's your bent, I want you to ask yourself this question. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Now, here's what I want us to do real quick. I want us to look at four four. Bible stories that illustrate this whole point, same event, same circumstance, and two very different perspectives from two different people or two different groups of people. And the first one is in Numbers 11. The Israelites were for years in bondage in Egypt, right? They were slaves. They were under bondage. They were being killed. It was horrible. Moses leads them out of Egypt into freedom. And God is providing everything that they need every day. Every day is providing. They have no needs. And they start to complain because all they ever get to eat is manna. Manna, God is providing manna for them miraculously every day. And they start to complain and they say this. They say, we would rather be back in Egypt so we could eat fish than where we are. And Moses says, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Don't you guys remember that when you were in Egypt, you were slaves? And there was no freedom, and there was no future, and there was no hope? You would trade all of this, what we have now, so you can eat fish. Same event, same circumstance, two very different perspectives. The next one is in Matthew 26. And this is where... A very sinful woman was forgiven of her sin by Jesus. This is an amazing story. It has so much meaning. This woman is forgiven by Jesus from a life of sin. And she is overwhelmed with what Jesus has done for her. And she takes an alabaster jar or a jar of perfume that is incredibly expensive. The Bible tells us that it was worth a year's wages. 
So this little jar of perfume was worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. And she takes the jar, and she's so overcome with with her thankfulness and worship to Jesus, she pours the whole jar of perfume on Jesus and anoints him with this expensive perfume. And Judas is standing back watching this, and he's saying, wait a minute, this is, this is crazy. And he begins to criticize. And he says, wouldn't have it been way better? Boy, this sounds like us as Christians. Wouldn't have it been way better to take that jar of perfume and sell it and feed the poor? It actually makes sense. And Jesus corrects him and says, no, Judas, you don't understand. What this woman has done is incredibly beautiful. And I accept it completely. And because of what she has done, they will be speaking of her and talking of her generations from now, which we're doing today. Same event, same circumstances, two very completely different views. Luke 10 is another story. Mary and Martha are hosting Jesus in their home, right? And Martha is doing what most of us do. She's like freaking out. And she's a busybody and she's preparing food and she's cleaning the house. And oh my goodness, he might see dust. And and she's like running around doing things. And Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and Martha walks in. And she, she she tells Jesus, she says, Can you tell my sister she needs to help me for crying out loud? I got work to do. It's almost humorous, you know? It's like two adult women, and they're telling, and the one's like, Jesus, can't you tell her? I need help. And Jesus corrects her, and he says, no, 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 wait a minute. You don't understand again. Mary has chosen the more important things. She's, She's chosen me, not doing things. Same circumstance, same setting, two very different perspectives. And then in Acts, there's a story about Paul and Silas that were preaching Jesus. And they were arrested. They were stripped down naked. They were beat half to death. They were locked up in prison with a bunch of other prisoners who, by the way, were complaining. This story is so powerful. And it says at 12 midnight, Paul and Silas began to sing. Or should I just say they started a praise and worship session. And let me tell you something. Something maybe that we don't understand enough as Christians is God inhabits the praises of his people. And I'm not talking about just here on Sunday mornings. I believe he inhabits this praise, but it's not just this praise. God inhabits the praises of his people. You see it over and over and over and over and over again in Scripture. You never see stories where someone is negative and complaining and criticizing, and it says God showed up. God always, when God showed up, it's in the, not always, but often God shows up in the context of worship, in the context of singing, in the context of gratitude, in the context of thankfulness. Paul and Silas begin to sing at midnight, and it says there was a massive earthquake. The shackles fell off. They were set free. The jailer gave his heart to the Lord. His family was saved. And it was the beginning of the church in Philippi. And where did it start? It all started because two men decided not to be 
complainers in the middle of a horrible circumstance, and they said, no, we're not going to complain. We're going to praise the Lord instead, and God showed up. Let me t- Listen, there's so much power, so much power in our words. Here's my challenge this morning. My challenge to myself and my challenge to you is the reality of it is is we're all going to leave this place today. We're all going to walk out these doors and nothing's going to have changed. Your circumstances when you walked in here are going to be exactly the same. Your marriage is going to be at the same place. Your finances is going to be at the same place. Right? Your family's going to be at the same place. Your relationships are going to be at the same place. The list can go on and on and on. Nothing's going to change. My challenge for you and for myself is we walk out of here and look at them differently. That we look at them differently. That we have a different approach. That we have a different view. That we think about the words coming out of our mouth. That we realize that what comes out of our mouth reveals the condition of our heart. And my challenge is for us to live out these next three positive promises. And the first one is this. is a commitment that we should make is I will not hang out with negative people. This one's really simple. I will not hang out with negative people. For some of us, this is a reality. Did, here's, here's, here's the thing. Well, let's read this verse. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. See, we like to use this on teenagers, and we love to use this on our kids. But here's what it says. It doesn't say for kids only. 1 Corinthians 15, 23, it says, Bad company corrupts good character. Haven't you ever noticed that you become like you hang out with? Have you ever spent an evening or an afternoon or whatever it is with a person that just complains? What do you find yourself doing? You turn into a complainer every time, I promise you. You can argue all day long. It rubs off on you. You hang out with people that are negative. You hang out with people that complain. You hang out with people that criticize. And it rubs off on you. You become who you hang out with. You hang out with people that are positive. You hang out with people that speak life into you and life into themselves and life into other people. I'm not talking about they walk around with their head in the sand and they never acknowledge a problem. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talk- you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Make a commitment. I will not hang out with negative people. And you might just add on there, any more than I have to. And if you're married to a negative person, I don't know. I don't know. We'll pray for you. Right? Because you've got to hang out with him or her. Here's the second positive promise is this, is I will speak words of life. I will speak words of life. Proverbs 18, verse 21, the verse that I've referred to several times, it says, the tongue has the power of life, and the tongue has the power of death. Husbands, you make a commitment today. I'm going to speak words of life into my wife. I'll make that commitment to you guys. And I'm going to build her up. I'm going to find the things that she does right. I'm going to publicly praise her. I'm going to privately praise her. I'm not going to complain. 
And when there's times when you could nitpick and find things, because listen, you're always going to be able to find things, right? All of us. We'll always be able to find things to complain about. Make a decision today. From now on, I'm going to speak words of life into my relationships. I'm going I'm to speak words of life into my kids. And you know what? I, here's the reality for us as parents, and some of you probably do way better than I do as a parent. But here's what I find myself. And it's not right. Is I find myself policing my kids. I don't mean to be negative. I don't mean to be nitpicky, but it's so easy. Stop doing that. Don't hit your sister. Don't do that. And why is your clothes laying there? And you're constantly policing and nitpicking in this. What if we would make a commitment for our children? And what a difference it would make in our children if we'd speak words of life into them. Hey, thank you for sitting at the table and chewing that food without spitting it all over the table. Thanks for not talking a minute ago until your mouth was empty. Thank you for not, you know, killing your sister when she said that to you. You know, there's always things. There's always things you can find that they're doing right. And why don't we pick those things out and speak words of life into them? Here's my challenge. Um, We're traveling to Myrtle Beach as soon as church is over. And if you guys are like my family, traveling in a car all in close, confined space can be challenging. We love each other. But, I mean, it's like, you guys know what I'm talking about. It gets a little hairy sometimes, right? It's like, stop and and turn it, get off of me, get on your side. You know, and it's like, it would be great if we could just put little soundproof cubicles in place sometimes. And listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody else. Here's my challenge for you guys to join me, is that just for today, just for today, I'll make a commitment to you guys and my family, they're sitting here, that I'll speak words of life all day in the car until we get to the beach. No, I'm kidding. But just for today... No complaining, no negativity, no words of death, just words of life. My wife is sitting back there like, oh, this is going to be awesome. I know how she is. That's a positive statement, yeah. You know what, you could take the challenge further. How about we go on a 30-day fast from criticism, negativity, and complaining? Can we do it? 30-day fast of no negativity, no complaining, and no criticism. I'm not going to take that challenge. I might if somebody would come up to me afterwards and say, I'll join you. Seven days? Okay, you're on. Me and you. Seven days. All right. How many of you are with us? There's a bunch of us. Seven days. Okay. Holy smokes. Seven days. Seven days, no complaining, criticism, or negativity. It could change our lives. I really think it could. here's Here's the reality of this. If you're in a family and your dad or your mom made that commitment, we're going to mess up. It's impossible not to because we're wired that way. But our hearts are going to be the right direction, right? And we're going to realize it and go the right direction. It's awesome. Here's the third positive promise is this. 
is I will be, this is, this is where we land today. This is Thanksgiving week. I will be thankful for what I have. I'll be thankful for what I have. I'll just be thankful for what I have. I won't be grouchy. I won't complain about the things that I don't have. I'll give thanks in all things. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 18 says this. It says, give thanks in all circumstances. All circumstances. You feel, follow the theme here, right? Do everything without complaining, without arguing. Give thanks in everything, in all circumstances. For this is the will of God. It's not just a suggestion. This is the will of God. It's how he wants us to live. How does it play out in real life? Here's how it plays out in real life. When you fill up your, ga- your car with gas, you know, that's the, like the number one thing I complain about right now because it blows our budget. When you fill up with gas, instead of complaining, think about this. The fact that you have a car to fill up with gas means you are in the top 3% of the wealthiest people in the world. There are billions, if not millions, if not billions of people that would love to trade place with you. So instead of moaning the next time you fill up, why don't you say, God, thank you that I have a car. I'm in the top 3% of the world. See, different, same, same thing, different perspective. Remember this. And the list could go on and on. You know, next time you want to complain about your husband or wife, say, God, thank you, I have a husband and a wife. There's some people that love to trade places with you. Next time you want to complain about your kids and nitpick, you thank God you have kids. There's people that have lost their children or can't have their kids or have, can't have kids. See, the list can go on and on. Be thankful for what you have. Next time, ladies, you have a bad hair day, you just be thankful you have hair. Milton has none. Listen, your words reflect the attitude of your heart. And if your words are characterized by, if your words are characterized by complaining, let God do a work in your heart. Here's why I want to land today. And it is with this truth. The Bible also says this. It says that no man and tame the tongue. You can't change your words on your own. You need Jesus Christ. You need a Savior. You need to be transformed. You need God's power. You need the Holy Spirit in your life. And I'm telling you, those of us that committed to seven days of no neg- negativity, criticism, and complaining, if we do it without the Lord's help or try to do it without the Lord's help, we're going to fail miserably. Because the Bible says very clearly, no man can tame the tongue. We need Jesus. And we need him to do a work in our lives. Let's pray.